Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Good morning again. Uh, all this week I've had people uh, asking me some, well, what, uh, what is your uh, opinion about the Duck Dynasty uh, controversy? I, I'm not really going to say a lot about that today. Uh, but I know a lot of people have questions, but I just didn't think... I mean, it's the Sunday before Christmas, I didn't think I really needed to... To, to to say a lot today, but um, but but anyway, um, I'll say a little bit later uh, in in the message. We're doing a series uh, here this Christmas season. We've called uh, Invasion, wanting to focus our our attention on the fact that God intentionally invaded Earth by sending His Son into this world. The idea of invasion, as we've talked each week, I mean, yes, it talks about invading armies and, and things like that, but the definition for this series, I've wanted us to kind of bear in mind that, that Webster's give us is, is this, Webster's Dictionary, aside from an invading army and some of those other definitions, says this, um, invasion is also interfering with something by entry into it and aggressively spreading through it, permeating it. And as I've said each week, as I've read that definition, that is God's plan in sending Jesus into this world. He sent Jesus into this world to interfere with it. Not just into this world, but wants to send Him into our lives, into our hearts. To interfere with our hearts, to spread through our hearts and in our lives. In this uh, series, we started out talking about a lot of the Old Testament promises. And that's why there was this kind of pervasive desire for God to rend the heavens and come down. And then He did that through Jesus. And we talked about the incarnation and what that means. Because when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, it's more than just a human baby being placed in a manger. Because the Bible teaches us that God became man. He came into this world for a specific purpose. He came through the incarnation to bring redemption. To where he could go to the cross as our substitute and die for our sins and mediate between us and a holy God. Last week we talked about invading religion because maybe in some people's minds they think, well, Jesus came into this world to kind of prop up religion or to bring more religious rules and, and, and things like that. But that's not why he, why he came. So we, we don't need anyone to help out our religiosity because we've got a pretty good uh, past of doing that ourselves, of, of trying to be more more religious. Jesus didn't come for that reason. He, he came into this world to die on a cross, to pay the ultimate sacrifice, to pay for your sin and, and for my sins. He, he came into this world to invade our hearts. Now, if you were to kind of roll together everything the Bible says about our hearts, you could come away with this definition that the 
inner self. It's what the inner self, our heart is what the inner self thinks, feels, and, and decides. It, it's a lot broader term than what modern man might think of when we say heart. If you didn't have some biblical context for what the word heart means, and for me to talk about God invading a heart, you, you know, if you didn't know me better, you might think, well, am I going in the hospital and they're going to infuse him into my veins and put him in my heart or something like that? The, the Bible, when it addresses the heart, it talks about it being what's central to our very being. What, what is central to, to, to man? What is the innermost center of us. It deals with our emotions. The Bible talks about our, our emotions. In other words, in our heart, we can be sad, we can be happy, we, we can be depressed, we can be thrilled. All those types of things. Our, our, our hearts are in the Bible dealt with from an emotional standpoint. But the Bible also talks about the volitional will or the purpose or decision making because we, we plan things in our hearts. We, we have this intent or purpose in, in our hearts. And the Bible talks about the heart as being like the, the center of intellectual activity or perception or knowledge or wisdom. But, but it also talks about our hearts being the center of ethical, religious, or spiritual life. That conscience that God's given us. It's, it's a seat of moral and ethical thought. Of having an, uh, a pure heart, a humility, a responding to God. Our, our hearts being tested by God. Our hearts being cleansed by God. It's with our hearts that we believe by faith in Christ, and, and we have a relationship with God, and we understand how much God loves us, and we experience the very presence of God in, in our hearts when we believe in Christ. But the Bible tells us we've got a heart problem. Both in the Old and New Testament... Jeremiah, which he was one that was kind of prone to depression himself, uh, most Bible scholars tell us by what he writes. He's referred to as a weeping prophet. He said, my joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick within me. And then later on he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? So if you've ever been given the advice by anybody, just trust your heart. That's not very good advice to receive or to give. Because of what the Bible says about our hearts. Jump in the New Testament and Jesus said this. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, just teaching people to be more religious. Romans chapter 2 says, but because of your heart and a penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself. On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So, so the Bible literally tells us, both in the Old and the New Testament, that, that we've got a heart problem. But the Bible also tells us that God wants to fix our hearts. He said in Jeremiah, uh, once again, he said, I will give them a heart to know that I'm the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Ezekiel put it like this, I will give you a new heart a, and a new spirit I'll put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey 
my rules. No, no, don't get that twisted around what he said right there. He's not saying that you get to know him and have a relationship with him by obeying his rules. He, he's saying he'll put a heart of flesh within us and then he'll put his spirit in us. And that happens when we receive Christ as our Savior. Then we're empowered to try and live the way he wants us to live. We get it reversed. It's like we have to do good trying to earn our stand with God. That doesn't work. God clearly tells us He wants to invade our hearts. He, he, he wants to change our hearts. But the question today on this Sunday before Christmas might very well be this. How in the world does that happen? We've got a heart problem. God wants to change our hearts. How can that take place? Well, it takes place like this. It takes place by a gift being given and a gift being received. A gift being given and a gift being received. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. I want you to notice a couple of things this morning. First of all, let's talk about the greatest gift ever given. I understand, you know, Christmas falls on Wednesday this week. Some of you may get some very good gifts. Some of you may get great gifts. You may get it because you have someone that loves you and they've been around you enough to kind of really know you. And they buy you that perfect gift and, and you'll just kind of think, wow, you know, whenever you open it. Or some of you may get a good gift because you've been dropping hints all year long. This is what you want. And then others of you, as I said a couple of weeks ago... Some of us will get gifts and we'll kindly think, I wish I had kept the gift that I gave them because it's better than the gift they gave me. You ever have that happen? And still yet others of you will get a gift and, and you'll, you'll unwrap it and you'll sit there and you'll look at it and you'll lie through your teeth and you'll say just what I always wanted when really in your heart you're thinking this, what in the world were they thinking when they bought this for me? Can I tell you today what God was thinking when He gave the gift? Can I tell you what God had on His mind when He chose the greatest gift of all time? The greatest gift that will ever be given? The first part of John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time in, in some word studies, but I think there's a little bit of importance in, in the words that are used there in, in the original language in, in the Bible. So I, I want to hit them just really quickly, but it says, when he used the word for, that, that's a word that literally is a sign and a reason, whether it be in an argument or an explanation or to intensify something. So, so here, as, as John writes these words, he's telling us why God so loved the world. He's assigning a reason, or he's giving us a kind of an intensification of, of, of how great God's love is. The, the word so means in this way, and, and that is placed in a Greek sentence to kindly refer to what precedes or follows it. Here it's what follows it in, in this structure. So for, for God, so, and it means in this way. For God in this way loved the, the God kind of love to, to love in a moral sense, not because we deserve to be loved, because we were worthy of being loved, but God chose to love us. God literally breathed after us. That's how much He, he loved us. 
For, for God in this way loved the world. That Greek word cosmos talks about the orderly arrangement, everything that's in, in the world, including its inhabitants, you and I. God in this way loved the world. That, in order that, so too He did this. He gave. The word for gave in the Greek means a huge application. In other words, he's talking about giving as big as somebody can give. His only begotten son. That, that word, even though when you read it on and look at the word study, and it, and it talks about coming into being or generating, that's not meaning that Jesus had his beginning there in Bethlehem when he was born. That's talking about the incarnation. He came into being as that baby in the flesh. You want to know how much God loved the world. Here's how much. He loved the world enough to give His only Son. I've got two daughters, and I love my daughters. I have one son. I cannot imagine giving any of them up, especially to die on a cross for somebody else. But that is exactly what God did. That's how much God loved the world. He sent His Son to die on the cross. I want you to think, two things about this greatest gift. I want you to think about the reason of the gift. Why did He do that? I mean, why in the world would He give His only begotten Son? What is the reason that God would give such a gift? And the truth of the matter is this, because mankind was bitten by sin. In verse 14 and 15, a lot of times we would take John three sixteen out by itself. And there's important stuff that takes place in front of John 3.16. And there's important stuff that takes place on the other side of John 3.16 that we'll talk about near the end of the message. But Jesus said this as He meets with Nicodemus. And He's talking to Nicodemus about salvation. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. Jesus is referencing a story from the Old Testament in, in Numbers 21. And in that story in the Old Testament, what happened was this. The, the people were complaining. I can't, you ever been around, I can't imagine anyone would ever complain. You? Huh? Surely not godly people. We're not going to complain. Or people that are supposed to be God's people. But, you know, what really happened in the Bible was this. God sends Moses in to lead the people out. Then they start complaining. God, you took us out here to starve and to thirst to death. So, so God provided water and God provided manna. And then the people started complaining. They started loathing the food that God had provided for them. So as a result of them criticizing God and complaining against God, what happens is this. God sends fiery serpents, is what the Bible tells us, into the encampment of the children of Israel. And the serpents are biting the Jews, and they are getting sick, and many of them are dying. So these people that were complaining about God, complaining about Moses also, now they come to Moses and they say, Moses, do something about this. Go and pray to God that he will take care of these fiery serpents. So Moses prayed, and here's God's solution. God, God said, Moses, I want you to make a, a bronze or a brass serpent. And I want you to put it on a pole... 
And I want you to lift it up. And I want you to tell all the people that when they look to that serpent by faith, they will be healed of the snake bite. The point that Jesus is making is this. Jesus Christ Himself was pictured by that serpent in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ Himself is lifted up on a pole that we know of as the cross. And just as those people in the Old Testament could look to that brass serpent and be healed of the snake bite, you and I can look to Jesus on the cross and be forgiven and healed of our sin bite. That's the the reason why God sent His Son into this world. He sent His Son into this world to take our judgment. In the Bible, brass or bronze is a a picture or represents judgment. Jesus Himself went to the cross and He took our judgment, our punishment upon Himself as He hung on the cross. And whoever believes in Him, whoever looks to Him by faith, receives this gift in the Bible called eternal life. That's what God had on His mind when He provided this gift. That's the greatest gift that's ever been given. Eternal life. Man, what a gift. Think about not just the reason for the gift, but think about the value of the gift for a moment. Because the value of the gift is established by this truth. God gave His only Son to die. See, a lot of times we value or we determine the value of a gift based upon how much it costs. Someone gives you something and they could have bought it for a nickel. You might think, man, that didn't take a whole lot of me this year. But if someone spends maybe $100 or several hundred dollars to purchase a gift for you and you understand how much the gift costs and you kind of look at the value of that gift based upon what the cost of the gift was. Well, here's the value of eternal life. Here's the value of us being forgiven of our sins. The value of Jesus coming into this world, the value of Him going to the cross and dying for our sins is this. It is so important. It is so strategic. It is so valuable. Salvation that God wants to provide for us that He sent His Son, not some angel, not some other way. He sent His Son to die on the cross. Does that help you understand how valuable this gift is that God wants to give you? Because His Son suffered and bled and died on a cross. I don't care what you get this Christmas, or what you've received any other Christmas in the past, or what you'll receive any other Christmas in the future, it can never, ever, ever, ever compare to the gift that God wants to give you in eternal life. The greatest gift that could ever be be given as God sent in His Son, providing eternal life for all those who believe. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. Christ had to die before men could be born again. Through the death of Christ, we receive eternal life. What a paradox. That, that God chose to do it like that. Christmas is about the greatest gift ever given. Christmas is not about just a baby being placed in a manger. We have all these warm, cushy feelings about it. Christmas is about this. That baby came into this world to grow up to die on a cross. That through Him we can have the greatest gift of all, everlasting life. But the greatest gift is something not only that's given, you need to recognize this morning, secondly, that this greatest gift also has to be received. 
it has to be received. What, what value, what purpose, what use is a gift that someone gives it to you, no matter how lovingly they give it to you, if you fail to receive it? This Christmas morning, someone could have really thought about you and bought you something they thought was a perfect gift, what you'd really love. And, and, they, and they lovingly wrapped it and everything, and they'll bring it to you and they'll give it to you. But what if, if you were just to kind of take it and set it aside and never open it up? You wouldn't understand the value of it, the purpose of it. And that's the same way it is with salvation. For you to really perceive how great the gift is that God wants to give you, you need to realize that it's something you have to receive and take to yourself. The second part of John 3.16 is this, that whoever believes, whoever receives this gift, whoever believes in Him, in Christ, should not perish, but have eternal life. God gave the greatest gift so you can receive the greatest gift. It's something that you have to receive. He, look at some of the words that he uses here. That means in order that denotes a purpose or a result. God so loved the world that he gave his only son in order that the purpose or result of it is that whoever believes. I love the word whoever because it includes me. How about you? Do you love that word? Literally, the word in the Greek means all forms of declension, all, any, every, the whole. Thank God for whoever, amen? Because if it didn't say whoever, if it just said the pretty people or the skinny people or the wealthy people or whatever the case is, a lot of us would be left out. But he says that he gave his son in order that the purpose of whoever believes, and that means to have faith in, to give credence to, to give credit, to entrust especially one's spiritual welfare to Christ. The root word means to be persuaded that it's true, to have a moral conviction of truth. And the Bible talks about relying upon Christ for salvation. I mean, thank God for the word whoever, but thank God for this also, salvation by faith. Amen? Everyone ought to say amen. You want to know why? Because if it's not salvation by faith, you would never ever know when you'd been saved. You could never ever know that you'd done enough. If it was based upon your performance, your works, instead of it being based upon you believing, you trusting in Jesus. And he said he did it in order that we should not perish. And that's not talking about physical death because all of us die physically. He's talking about spiritual death, being separated from God forever. He did it in order that, but means other things. That we should not perish, but instead other things we should have. And the word means to hold as a possession, a conditional relationship, perpetual life, eternal life. This greatest gift that God wants to give you is something that He wants you to receive, and He wants you to hold it as your own personal possession. A gift that is yours forever and ever and ever when you trust in, in Christ. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to have a, a possession, a position, and a condition, a relationship with Him that lasts forever and ever and ever. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us this. For the wages of sin is death. That's our problem. That's where we are without Christ. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, eternal life scares some people. 
Because some people don't understand what eternal life is about. See, some people have been through so much junk, so much pain, so much, so many problems in their lives that if you talk to them about living forever and they view it in the context of the life that they've lived here, it's like, I, no, I don't think I want any of that, you know? And that's understandable because this life can bring a lot of pain and suffering and turmoil. And if eternal life were just to be a continuation of the current condition, I don't know I'd want it, would you? But eternal life is not a continuation of the condition that we're in now. Eternal life is completely different. In light of what Revelation 21 tells us, it's a time of no more tears, no, no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death. No more enemy, no more temptation, no more pain whatsoever. It's a completely perfect life for all eternity. So when you think about eternal life, don't think that you're living the life you're living now forever. No, it's, it's a perfect existence with God for all eternity. The greatest gift that could ever be given is a great gift that God wants you to receive. And the only way to receive it is by faith. That's the only way salvation comes. When Moses went to pray about those fiery serpents, God didn't say, well, Moses, get the people together and go kill the serpents. He, he didn't say, go make up a, a salve and go put it on the bite marks and you'll get better. He didn't say, come up with a way to protect yourself from the bite. What God said was simply this, go and look by faith to that brass serpent held up on the pole, and when you look by faith to that brass serpent, that's when you'll be healed. Neither does God tell us to fix ourselves, to deal with our own sin issue, to work our way to heaven. You see, all those things that I mentioned a moment ago that God did not tell Moses to do, here's why He didn't tell him to do it, they were all works-based. God doesn't tell us to fix our own lives. God doesn't tell us to work our way to heaven. God tells us simply this, that Jesus has been lifted up, and when we trust Him by faith, He gives us eternal life as a free gift. The only way to receive it is by, by faith in Jesus. If you look by faith, it means salvation. If you don't look by faith, it brings condemnation to you. So the question is this for you today. Have you ever looked by faith to Jesus Christ? Have you ever received the greatest gift ever given? Have you ever looked to Jesus by faith because He's the one that was lifted up from the earth on the cross to die for your sin and my sin. That's why Jesus came into this world. That's what Christmas is about. God sending the most amazing gift of all time in order that you and I can experience His amazing grace when we trust Him by faith. Jesus dying on the cross is the only remedy we have for sin. The only hope for mankind. The only hope for our forgiveness. The only chance for heaven for us is looking to Jesus by faith. In other words, since I've talked about the greatest gift ever given, and it's the greatest gift that needs to be received, in other words, you need to unwrap 
the gift. And in the verses that come after John 3.16, we discover why we really need to unwrap the gift. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through Him, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, we, we see the purpose for the gift in verse 17. The, the purpose for the gift is that He did not come to condemn the world. But instead, He, he came in order that we, that we might be saved through Him. That's the purpose of the gift. But the necessity of the gift is this. He says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But please catch this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, I told you earlier, I wasn't going to talk much about this. But I am now, just for a moment. <clears throat> we live in a crazy world. <laughs> a world where someone can quote Scripture, and he might have done it crudely. And I will tell you that I probably would have said the things he said in a different way that Phil Robinson said. There were different ways to say it, but he was just being himself. And if you've ever watched the show, he was saying it the way he would say it anyway. <laughs> you know. And he's quoting Scripture. And so much of the liberal media has jumped on the bandwagon of bashing him because he's condemning just certain groups to damnation or to hell by his statement. He quoted a passage of Scripture that says homosexuals, but now you've you got to read the rest of it. Or liars or thieves or other things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you have been changed, you've been saved. The news media has not dealt with everything that he said because he goes on to say, you know, completely giving his heart different as far as him judging or condemning someone, but they just wanted to take it, I'm afraid, as a battering ram because uh, he has a TV show where they, they do sit down and pray as a family and things like that. So I think there's other motives behind the scenes. Even on some conservative uh, news networks, on Fox News, uh, and I'm not advertising for Fox News, but that's probably the one I watch the most to get my news from. But one of their commentators, and I'll not call his name, I, I, I will tell you, he wrote a book recently that kind of makes me scratch my head. That's why he would say a couple of things he said recently. <laughs> I, I had not ever said anything about that. I did on Facebook, but he was being interviewed about his, his book about uh, crucifying Jesus. And they asked him, they said, well, we notice you did not say that Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing from the cross. And he said, well, that's because we don't think he said that, not why he's on the cross. Guys, I'm sorry, I might be old-fashioned or something like that, but I'm going to go with this over any other research you find. I'm going to go with this. This says, he said, Father, forgive them. When he's nailed to the cross. I'm telling you, I'm just going with this. 
same news commentator, when he was dealing with this controversy that's going on right now, that I said I wouldn't talk much about. Said that Phil Robinson had the right to say what he said because of having freedom of speech. But he said he did not have the right to go on and say anything about anyone being condemned or damnation or condemnation for any group of people because that's only God's position to do that, which I agree, which God has already done in His Word. But can I erase all the controversy for you? Honest, I'll erase it all for you right now. And, and, if, and, if, and if our nation and, and all the news media and everything would go with what I'm about to say, the race, every bit of the controversy. Did you notice the scripture I read just a moment ago? Said that if we have not believed in Jesus, we're condemned already. Did you notice that? In other words, it's not just the homosexual that is underneath condemnation. The good old southern boy redneck is also condemned without Jesus. Everyone, every person, all of us have no hope whatsoever without Jesus. We are all already condemned. So why jump up and down when someone talks about somebody being condemned? Hey, we're all condemned without Christ. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came in order to save the world, but we have to believe in Him. And if we believe in Him, we're not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Do you see that? little neat track used to be out years ago that said this, what do you have to do to go to hell? And then when you open up the inside of it, 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 it was blank. <laughs> and the point is nothing, because that's where we are without Jesus. Our only hope is Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The only way, our only hope, our only chance is Jesus. There's a choice to make. Romans 10, 9 and 11 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what are we talking about? Heart. That God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified. And with a mouth one confesses and is saved. And then later on in that same chapter it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. A man by the name of Blaise Pascal said this once. He said, if I live like there is a God, and find out in the end there isn't. He said, I've, I've gained much. In other words, because I've lived a beneficial life and everything. He said, I've lost little. But on the other hand, he said, if I live my life like there isn't a God and find out in the end that there is, I've gained little and I've lost everything. The Bible still says, the fool has said in his heart, there's no God. And the Bible also encourages us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And the only way the peace of Christ can rule in our hearts is if we believe in Him. God has the greatest gift that's ever been given. And it's for you if you've never received it. But it's a great gift that you have to receive. Let's pray.
Father. God, I am so amazed that You could look down on this world and You could love this world so supremely that You sent Your Son to die on a cross for us. The greatest gift of all time You've provided. A gift of eternal life that You want us to receive. The Father, I, I pray if there's someone here today that's never said yes to Jesus, God, on this Sunday before Christmas, give them the greatest gift. God calls them by faith to receive the greatest gift they could ever receive. God, guard our hearts. Guard us as we deal with controversies and things that come up in our culture today. The truth of the matter is you've told us we're all lost. We're all condemned. And our only hope is Jesus. God, if our world would just see that, it would do away with all the controversy. If each and every one of us would see ourselves lost and undone before you, and our only hope being Jesus. Father, I pray if there's someone here without the greatest gift, that they'd receive it today before we leave. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.